Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex, assistant editor and film writer at Deadline. On today's episode, I chat with native New Zealanders Cliff Curtis and director Tara Pakahi about the new film Muru. And in our discussion, Curtis and Tara Pakahi talk about the incident that inspired Muru. They also talk about police brutality within the Maori community in New Zealand and their personal encounters with the police. Inspired by actual events, Muru is a powerful story of a local police sergeant, Taffy Taura, who recently returned home to the remote Roatoki Valley to look after his sick father. Now, one of his close associates, Tamiti, runs a series of boot camps in the valley called Rama. Now these camps are centered around survival skills uh, and to keep the shared Tuho identity alive. Despite many invitations, Taffy has never attended the camp. However, unbeknownst to everyone in the valley, Rama has been under police surveillance for six months. And when a troubled youth fires a loaded rifle, surveillance footage triggers a response led by Captain Gallagher and an elite STG unit. Now, the, the incident inspired, that inspired the film is based on the 2007 New Zealand police raids uh, that were like a series of armed police raids, and they were conducted on October 15th and 16th of 2007. And this was because the government assumed that Tom Iti was a domestic terrorist. I don't want to go any further into the story, but you, you really have to hear it from them. Now, early ideas for Muru were developed by Tara Pakahi and Cliff Curtis and Tamiti in 2015. But of course, now it's just coming to fruition and premiered at, at TIFF this year. Cliff Curtis and Tara Pakahi have known each other for quite a while, and it seems like this, was, this has been in, in the pipeline for some time. You have seen Cliff Curtis everywhere in all types of films playing all types of characters seriously the man is a chameleon he of course was born in new zealand and has a ton of international credits uh including being featured in jane campion's the piano uh, once we were warriors uh, he was in the whale rider he was in uh, a film called dark horse which got him an award for best actor at the new zealand film awards uh, he was also in Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead, David O. Russell's Three Kings, Anton Fuqua's Training Day, Len Wiseman's Live Free or Die Hard, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Like, the man has an extensive resume of films. It's, it's pretty insane, actually. Tara Pakahi has written and directed documentaries, award-winning shorts, and he also directed Mount Zion, starring Stan Walker. And that film is the most successful local cinema release of 2012. He has since directed two feature-length music documentaries, 
and his other directing credits include Tower, War Party, and The Speaker. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I got to say, this episode is really, really enlightening as Cliff Curtis uh, and Tara Pakahi share some really intimate details about their lives growing up in New Zealand and their experiences with the police. So with that said, let's get into it. Thank you for getting on so early in the morning. Um, I know it's uh, it's been a crazy sort of time in um, uh, in at TIFF. Start off by asking about your sort of perspective on the raids that happened. Your personal perspective, like where were you when you heard that these raids were taking place? And what was your initial thoughts on, on, what, on what you saw that was going on, that was happening, unfolding as you were watching, like in real time? I, you know, I remember very, very vividly, very clearly was. I was at my house. I have, I have a lower level downstairs. Now I was coming from the lower level, walking up the stairs outside to the upstairs. And I remember that as I was taking the steps, I got the news that there were raids in Tuhoi, which is about where that was going down. It's like about one hour and 15 minutes from my house. And I just remember like, oh, no, they messed up. It's like in my gut. I was like, a, it was like a gut punch. Mm-hmm. For my, the government done gone, the police done gone, messed up. They are making an example of an artist and of a political activist. And I, I knew, I knew instantly, I thought this is gonna be, um, gonna, I, I, I don't know, this is gonna be a mess. It's gonna be a mess and it's gonna be a show. It's gonna be a spectacle. Yeah. I remember very, very vividly. I'd known Tamir for, not closely, I can't say I knew him closely, intimately, but I'd known of him before I met him. You know, grew up sort of like he was an iconic sort of figure uh, culturally. Um, and then I met him about maybe 20 years before, well, not maybe about 10, 15 years before that moment. And I was interested in, in him and his like intellect um, and his artistry. You know, he was running, a, he had a restaurant <laughs> where people will say traditional prayers over our food before it was served, you know. And they would have like woven, woven mats. You know, this is in our biggest city in Auckland. He was a DJ on a radio show, starting the new radio station. Uh, it was just like, like, oh, it's like, you know, he was doing dance and dance shows. He was like doing painting. He was putting on public spectacles. He was putting on extravagantes, political stunts, really. Um, you know, he was known for doing things, and he was a, he was an activist that had been established a number of uh, that had affected our policy in regards to our own language and our own rights as indigenous people. And I was like, oh, they got the mandate, the green light to take this guy down. And I thought, no good, this is not going to go well. Yeah, that's that's how it landed for me when I first experienced that moment, uh, when I heard it was on. 
So 15th of October, 2007. And uh, this news report just sort of flashed across um, New Zealand, both morning, midday and into the evening. Mm -hmm. And uh, friends rung me up straight away. I didn't believe anything, put on the news. And then you could see this huge big ram raid yeah. of the sliding door and they had fixed the the local television service like the the reporters were all in position so it was like the police and the media, media were working yeah. together so it was this big orchestrated access, yeah. orchestrated action point and what was the headline to uh new zealand police arrest local terrorists or domestic, domestic terrorists, terrorists. And domestic, the thing that, that was the headline yeah the thing that shocked me is that when i was looking at the camera position the angle i could tell you know this is choreographed i was thinking whatever you do don't smash that door open that door is that door is unlocked and all the questions and all the people that they were rounding up in tuhoi those places are unlocked and you can ask any question you can go in for a cup of tea you are welcome. And so for them to have taken this course of action, a friend of mine, she was a dance choreographer. She was looking for, they were doing a, a dance piece centered around an 1864 incident. So they were looking for an old musket as a dance prop. She was rounded up. She was arrested. My theatrical director, he was, working on a, uh, a production on the Māori Battalion in World War II play. And he was marching his kids, uh, performers around the local park, 20 young men in fatigues doing little drills. They were rounded up. So mm. all of these artists who were producing work that speaks to the power of Māori and um, overcoming oppression, they were all rounded up along with Tami. And when you saw the video footage, the forest surveillance footage, and the way that they had threaded this narrative, it was like, we have saved New Zealand. Oh, God. Put pin the medal on our chest now. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> we're safe. We're, we're safe, everybody. Yeah, we, we got the bad guys. We got the bad guys. <laughs> oh, my God. Everybody, you're all welcome. So it was, it was shocking. It and was there How could you put so many disparate trends together and say terrorism? I mean, you know, when I think about, you know, what desperate, happened, that was a desperate play. It was, it was like, I, when you think about like what happened during 9-11 and all of these different people being mm -hmm. targeted mm -hmm. for no reason, just because their skin is brown. Yes. Um, you know, I, I I remember there was a raid in my apartment building as I was growing up of a family that was, um, I believe they were Pakistani and living above us. The dude drove a taxi and for some reason the feds thought that they were, you know, in this terrorist cell and come to find out they had nothing to do with that. And it's really interesting how the media and the law work together to shape the narratives that they see fit yes. um, to make themselves the hero and to make black and brown folks, indigenous folks, the villains. 
And so did you experience any barriers to making this film? Because it's a pretty, it's a pretty stark condemnation of the government and the media in New Zealand. So I just wonder, you know, what, what barriers, if any, did you experience trying to create this film and put it together? For me, I mean, Tanipa may have experienced, and Vaikura, our producer, may have experienced uh, some, you know, bureaucratic kind of um, issues. But to me, no. To me, like, uh, we are supported by our government agencies to, to be creators and to tell our stories. Um, you know, uh, of course, it's a competitive. There's all sorts of bureaucratic kind of issues around, like, accessing funding and all that kind of stuff but politically no no um in fact i've been like actually kind of surprised that we haven't had more <laughs> vocal more vocal kind of reaction it may be coming yes i mean it may come yeah i mean i'd be waiting for it I, i'm kind of surprised but um yeah i'm surprised but do, t do you want to talk to that because the you may I've experienced things that I'm not aware of that you haven't shared with me. The other thing, the really important thing here is that it went from domestic terrorist. That was the, what he was, what Tame and these people were um, accused of. And then it got reduced mm. further and further and further down as the evidence kept falling apart. So this huge big distillation, uh, reduction of the charges, of the seriousness of, of the charges were basically resulted in a, uh, an out-of-date firearms license. <laughs> but I can't laugh because Tame served time. So he served time for this overdue out-of-date firearms license of which there are many people, many farmers in New Zealand would have out-of-date firearms licenses. Mm. So at that level, you know, it is laughable that he served time and he did so much amazing work at, while he was serving time yes. with so many other young Māori in there. So they were very lucky. But in terms of resistance, because they had chosen this pathway, they realised how ridiculous it was. They, they reduced it. And then it was almost like two years later, they owned up, you know, in the public eye, there was this underbelly of ownership that hey we kind of got it wrong and then there was this quiet apology and and New Zealanders are pretty good at responding to a slap in the face to a jandal going hey how do we move on so the resistance from in terms of funding actually was very supported so we received a lot of support there, there was resistance from Tuhoi because that was the main, I won't say hurdle, but there was resistance because they wanted, they wanted the story to contain more than the events of a single day because this behavior is ongoing, has been across a long period of time. So it was how do we get more of the context? How do we show more of the canvas and more of the picture of the, this breakdown of a relationship? And how do we put that into the film as well? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I watched a couple of videos um, after watching a movie where people were still 10, 15 years later, people are still feeling the hurt and uh, mm. of the nightmarish experience. Uh, um, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, continue. You watch uh, the videos, I, yep. And I watched the videos and people are still really shaking up all, this, all these years later and I don't, I don't blame them. What has it been like opening old wounds for people and, um, you know, having this film that is sort of a reminder of something that happened? I mean, I think, you know, the film is definitely important. It's definitely important for people to see because it's a part of history and someone like me who isn't too familiar with a lot of um, um, uh, events in, in New Zealand and things that have happened, um, you know, people are still sort of feeling it. So when you think about tapping into this incident and dealing with it with care, um, can you talk a little bit about that? So walking forward together with Tommy and his family, the people in this valley, uh, people who were targeted, people who were accused and uh, marked and branded with this moniker of domestic terrorism. There has been a huge duty of care and open-mindedness and a lot of sharing. And I can tell you on day one of our shoot, which was a very difficult day, one of the young, you know, 15 years on, but she was one of the original school kids on the bus she said to her auntie auntie i'm so glad that these people that this this screw is here that they are telling this story because it would be so easy for everyone to forget that this ever happened and that's why we've also chosen and undertaken to tell this story because this has happened so many times this is a protest work this is ensuring that this level of treatment of targeting of maori communities never happens again and I think we've, so we're telling a story, we bring this depiction, we bring this breakdown, and hopefully we're humanizing these different factors from all these different lines of people who were involved to ensure that our future generations are protected. And Clifton, for you, what was it like to sort of get into this role where you are sort of straddling the line um, in the middle. And this is, you know, this is not an easy topic to deal with or anything to revisit, even if you aren't there or you weren't there. Um, getting into to character and the mindset of, of someone who is like in the middle of this sort of huge incident. What was that like for you on a personal level? Most complex issues can't be understood uh, in a simplistic way, you know. 
So in order to try to honor the question, you know, there's different aspects to how one approaches the, the work and I, myself, right? So of course, there's the research part. There's the people that I know and then talking to the police that were involved on both sides of this conflict, interviews, discussions, just, you know, deeper discussions with whiteboard sessions with Tiaripa, trying to figure out how we're approaching the story, what is the appropriate way to approach a story. Uh, really challenging one another, you know, challenging, challenging conversations with dummy, saying dummy. We've actually, we're, you know, we're fictionalizing this. Where's the line here? What are we doing? What's the most important? What is the truth that we're hoping to convey through poetry and cinema, right? As storytellers and artists. So there's all of that is kind of like the, the road map in to the interior of my, my function within the context of everybody else's work, Tarpa's work, our producers, it's a huge amount of confluence of, of efforts that come into it. And then, and then I have to internalize all of that information and I have to sort of like find my internal barometer. I have to find my true north. And so, we were just discussing this coming in and uh, trying to articulate this for me. And to, at, at, at the heart of it, for me, the role is about masculinity. It's about being a man and trying to be a good man. Um, and where this becomes really challenging is he's caught between opposing forces where he's chosen the life to represent the crown his vocation as a as a man of the law within his community to protect his community, sometimes against themselves, if asked to. And then he's got that opposing force which is asking him to protect his nation against his own family and his own people. Mm. I was like, how do you make a decision like that? Mm. How does a good man try to make the right decision? Mm take the right action and you know for me in terms of masculinity it's a, it's very difficult to be a good man to because we are we are almost inevitably going to make mistakes and get things wrong either in the words we speak or the actions we take um and that's what it boils down to for me when i get all of when I get right down to the essence of like what my role is, it's like trying to be the best man that, that I can be in a in an impossible situation. Mm -hmm. And and that that is the indigenous dilemma for people in roles of responsibility, responsibility to yeah. where responsibility has come down from the crown or down from a system, um, an overarching system across the community. This is what I'm hoping a lot of people will respond to in our indigenous communities because family versus badge, community versus all of these things in this opposition in this space. And another thing came up from one of your earlier questions, which came up, which was, I don't know if I spoke to you about this, um, but um, I was first arrested when I was seven years old. Wow. I was taken down to the station seven years old, processed, at seven, taken from my house, 
without consent from any adult. Mm-hmm. Like I was at home, got home from school, picked up from my house and taken down to the station. My dad just come to the station and pick me up and bring me back. Accused of something that I hadn't done. Stolen some money from a neighborhood. And on the way to school, I used to like pop in and see my friend. We're in the same class. We'd walk to school sometimes. He'd left early. I was running late. And I was like accused of stealing and breaking and entering a house. At age seven, my first arrest. Um, my second arrest, I was age 13. Um, went to court, fingerprinted like about seven cops. You know, um, yeah, you know, and uh, put in the cell, the good cop, bad cop, the whole routine, the whole routine. You know, I'd had multiple experiences growing up as a young man. I had a big issue with the police force, <laughs> you know, not based on anything else except for my personal experiences of being profiled as a young man of color in my own country mm. and being processed as a criminal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, by having, by having done nothing but walked out so many, so many times. I'd been like, as you know, my, in my early twenties, like being stopped and for walking down the street, so you know, police processing. They're like, oh, we have a problem. Someone's reported you. It's like, oh yeah, that'll be me. It's like, why is that? What are you doing? I'm walking down the street. That's the You know, so it's like it's really interesting. I, I don't know. So I said this sort of comes up um, for me in one of your early process um, questions around this, and I haven't, I, I haven't talked to you about this. It's not something that I sort of. It's not something that I really think about because I have great relationships with the police and things like that. I've worked with the police side by side. I've worked in prisons. I've worked with the army. So it's like, you know, growing up and I've worked my way around this, but it's funny how I just forget that. It's like this, we don't tell these stories. I completely forgot that. I completely forgot that. It just came up in this interview. Have I ever talked to you about this at all, ever? Yeah, no. So it's funny, isn't it? It's... So, yeah really interesting the being a part of films that tell these kind of stories like where it's the people versus the system it brings it can bring up a lot of different things and that's why i had asked the question because you know if that was something that you know you were conscious of while while filming i'm sure that may have maybe that no. may have it's so funny. It's like because as a coping mechanism, I think as individuals, as families, as communities, as as like as nations, we compartmentalize. We, yeah, we compartmentalize. We get on with the with the work of the day. It's like we can't carry these. And that was another thing. Your questioning is really astute and 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 uh, incisive in a way, um, because it's like I brought up another thing. It's like when you say bringing up old wounds, working in communities like this, these are not old wounds. Mm. These are these are things that are now. They're fresh. These are fresh. And it's fresh. Because you know, they're not isolated. Like, you don't have to like scratch. You don't have to scratch the surface anywhere. Right. You if you take if you take some seconds in exchange to look past the smile and the tenderness and mm-hmm. vulnerability of the people in this valley, yeah. you will see the fresh hurt and pain about people it's like it's not in my own family it's like it it manifests in many ways what we parents to what kids we, we, we call it dysfunction kids. yeah for me i guess it's like it's like i you know i compartmentalize and 
do my best to move on, you know, uh, and, and do very well within the system. And it's like, I was thinking about somebody who said another thing. It's like, if I succeed alone, then I'm failing. If I alone succeed, then I'm failing, you know. There's a, there's a, there's in our communities, in our communities of, we didn't create the communities of color. It was not created by us. That was something that, and now we're like trying to justify that we talk about ourselves as people as color and try to like work through all of the complexity of that, you know. But it's like, you know, if I as an individual within my community succeed, I'm failing. I'm failing my people. I am because my success alone is not a measure of where we are at as a community and as a nation. It's not the truth. And it really it just brings up all of these, you know, the spectrums of nuance and, and, uh, and it's challenging to like uh, bring this into soundbite situations and try and discuss these things. And so we come, I compartmentalize and I keep it all tucked over there and I try to sort of like stay on the, stay on the, the, you know, the marketing publicity kind of, um, uh, uh, I don't know, narrative, stay on the narrative, stay on point, you know, but get not muddy the water too much. We, we got a movie to sell, you know, we got, we got a story right, to tell, right. you know, like, you know, we got to stay on track here, but it's like, because of the questions you're asking, it's like, it's bringing up many different, like, uh, truths, you know, very, very true. This, this is All fresh. Right. Um, this was really, this was really great, like, talking to you. I mean, I didn't mean to make you, like, bring up some painful memories but beautiful is beautiful thank you Valerie. it's great i think it's i think the the film is beautiful and it it really it's a story that sort of i felt really united with you guys because different country same shit the generational trauma is there um and it's still there and we we're all dealing with it in our own way so thank you uh muru is a very powerful film and looking forward to uh talking with others and getting more nuanced opinions about it <laughs>